This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Prize Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Didn't get your picks in before the game started? No problem. You can get in the game for the second half. Sign up today using promo code FOOTBALL and get your first deposit instantly matched up to $100. Go to prizepicks.com or download the mobile app and enter code FOOTBALL to get your deposit match. Some restrictions do apply. See the website for details. Welcome back to the channel. Hope you're all keeping safe and well. And welcome back to another edition of the Spurs Chat Podcast, where I'm joined yet again by another fantastic guest. I've got returning guest Charlie Eccleshare with me, of course, Tottenham Hotspur correspondent with The Athletic. Charlie, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I can't believe it was January the last time you were on this channel, giving me all, uh, you know, lots of information to do with the transfer window back in January. Of course, uh, Tottenham eventually got some business done on the final day, Rodrigo Benzenkert and DJ Kulishevsky. Um, Charlie, talk to me from that point. You know, mm-hmm. from January to now, Tottenham Hotspur are now a very, very different club under Antonio Conte. Yeah, I mean, it's mad to think then. Because if I remember around that time, you know, it uh, wasn't the happiest place. Um, if you remember in, in January, Spurs lost three times to Chelsea. Uh, it was a slow, slow old window, um, you know, until the last days, really. It looked like being another one of those windows that just passed Spurs by. Obviously, then they did um, get the signings in. They got Kulisevsky and Benson Corin. And even then, let's be honest, you know, I think a lot of fans were thinking, this is just Paratici calling up his old mates and saying, can I have a couple of your yeah. cast-offs? I don't, you know, I don't think there was a huge amount of excitement. As it turned out, they've both been amazing signings and played a huge part in Spurs completely turning around their season. You know, that they, they stormed into the Champions League from that point. Um, and I, I reckon from that point on, they would have had the third best record of anyone in the league. Um, and the whole place has been transformed. And now, as we speak, um, the mood is so buoyant and positive. And I think everyone's just thinking it's going to be it's going to be a great season, which you know will fill some 
of the more fatalistic members of the fan base with dread. You know, it's all going too well. Something's something's got to go wrong somewhere along the line. But you know, Conte settled as well. You know, at that point in January, there were there were quite a lot of frustrations with Conte. You know, especially after that um, second leg of the Chelsea game where he didn't play Larice, and people thought he was kind of just giving up on the cup. He was very down after the first leg defeat, which I think a lot of fans felt was a bit much. Um, which again feels odd now because I think you struggle to find any Spurs fans who's any who is anything but absolutely delighted with Antonio Conte. Well, as you say, Charlie, the mood is very high. That's why I get people like you on this channel to bring me down to earth <laughs> a little bit. Um, because I think a lot of us are getting carried away by what kind of season we're all thinking we're going to have. Um Let's talk a little bit about pre-season because um, you've just come back from South Korea. Obviously, Tottenham played two games out there. Um, what was your experience like? And, and do you see Hunmin Son in a whole different light now? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, you were there yourself. You saw it. Um, it's one of those things where it kind of needs to be seen to be believed because even though you know and you're told all the time, and I've done big pieces on Son and spoken to lots of people in South Korea, and so you get a sense of it. But until you're there... And I was at the airport when he left um, and it was sort of Beatles in, at JFK Airport in 1964. You know, it was that level of hysteria. It was amazing. And the whole week, I think, I think you'd agree there was a real buzz around Seoul, um, not just Son, but anyone with a kind of Spurs allegiance. You know, you just had to put a Spurs tracksuit on, you'd get stopped for autographs. I was, you know, so I was speaking to some some of the Spurs staff and they were saying, you know, they were getting approached for autographs and they were saying, like, honestly, you don't know who I am. Like, you really don't want my autograph. And still they were like, no, 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 just give it to me. I'll take anything. So it was, uh, it was amazing um, and incredible experience. And yeah, you, you, you do get a sense for, for Son, the superstar. And it kind of then makes his modesty and humility all the more amazing because he is a complete rock star there. Um, you know, uh, the, the words that were used to me, words like God, royalty, rock star, you name it. There's sort of no description um, that was deemed as sort of over the top for him. So, yeah, an amazing insight. And I was lucky enough as well. I, I went to the academy that his dad and brother run, basically. So I got to interview his brother and dad. And his dad, is, you know, if, if you read the piece, it shows is, uh, is, a, is a character, a, a very, very strict man. Um, yeah. And I think to understand Son, uh, it was it was it was very very interesting to meet his dad and brother, um, and you can see, you know, Son's such a different character from his dad. He's more like his brother, who's who's actually who's pretty light hearted, like Sonny is. Um, but you can see things like the two footedness, um, how technically sound Son is, because he was so, the training was so regimented that he went through as a youngster. Um, but yeah, career was an amazing experience. How did you get on with the food there, Charlie? Because it's something that I was very worried about before I left. But I tell you what, it was incredible. And, you know, I was there. It was an incredible experience. I love South Korea, you know, every single thing about it. But the food was amazing. How did you get on with it? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. A few of my friends are quite into Korean food anyway. So I'd had it quite a bit in London where there, there are a lot of really good Korean restaurants before going. So I was quite excited anyway. And then was lucky enough to, the nights we were out, uh Lee Sung Mo who's a South Korean journalist and a great great bloke he lived in Seoul he's from Korea and he went to uni there so he knew great places so we were very much in his hands uh, and obviously he speaks Korean so he could just order us all the all the all the right stuff so it was excellent I mean I, I think because he uh, would put up pictures of us each night and gave the impression that it was this big jolly 
um and you know obviously, that's what it looked like <laughs> yeah it very much came across that way didn't it we, but you, you know you don't take pictures of yourself typing on your laptop hunched in your hotel room <laughs> no one wants to see that um but yeah no the meals out were amazing and uh yeah i think got a sense of the vibrancy of soul as well um it really had that feel to it of a place where there's loads going on lots of excitement um so yeah i think it'll definitely be a tour that will go down as one one to remember Charlie, the day I arrived, um, that was the day when uh, Spurs did the open training session. Um, mm. And a couple of days after that, uh, I was very fortunate in South Korea to meet uh, the Spurs team. And I asked Harry Kane and Eric Dyer, did you expect 42 lengths of the pitch? Both of them said no. Mm. Um, when you were in the stadium that evening and, uh, you know, because I had a friend next to me and they, and they said, Chris, you've been on a lot of these tours. What, what, what do we expect? And I said, it'll be you know, a very relaxed training session. They'll do a bit of ball work. They'll do a bit of running. It's more just to say, you know, we're training in front of the fans, you know, just general stuff. And then, you know, you saw yourself, 42 lengths of the pitch. What did you make of that? <laughs> yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? Because I think everyone at the stadium, you know, we were enjoying it, but it was all very gentle. And it was kind of, there was a sort of gentle hum going round as they did their small-sided games. And, uh, and then sort of a bit of shadow play and then some 11 side work. And it was all it was all perfectly pleasant and interesting. And then suddenly when the Marine um, got hold of the players and they start and you sort of realize what was going on and you could feel the excitement that was building as everyone like stopped sort of their conversations. It was like, no, look at the pitch. Like, what is going on? And uh, this gradual realization that the players were getting absolutely beasted. And there was something sort of secondary school PE bleep test about it you know I think it was, yeah. it was very relatable like we've all sort of been there in that environment uh, so it was quite incredible to see these elite athletes um, basically being made to look like 15 year olds um, it was incredible and you saw you know Son and Kane then collapsing and we were just there sort of getting photos of um, these amazing scenes of yeah the players passed out um, so yeah that massively kind of exceeded my expectations i suppose for how um interesting it was because like you say i think a lot i think we did largely expect it to be just you know the, a bit of formalities and um but none of that no messing around from content and i think he was quite keen to show the watching world that spurs aren't messing about they mean business they're going to be the fittest team in the league and you better be prepared because they're going to outrun you were you surprised, Charlie, that the players that were out in front, because it was Davinson Sanchez, Brian Hill, uh, Pape Matasar, uh, Troy Parrott was there. And then, of course, um, you know, during that session, the likes of Harry Kane, Hunmin Son, fell to the floor. And what was really interesting to me is that Son and Kane, or certainly Son, he looked up at one time and, and, I, and I think he kind of expected the, the trainer to say, OK, that's enough. But he didn't. He said, come on, go again. Mm. Were you surprised by were you surprised by those front runners of, of those players like the, the fringe players rather than the, the, the actual first teamers? Well, I think with Kane and Son, they, because they'd just come back from internationals, I think it showed um how much of a difference that week made. Some of the players had a week on them and you know, you you got a sense from that training session how much work they went through. So if you think they'd had five or six of those, you can understand why they were quite away in front. I knew Troy Parrott as well, having done an interview with him in April. Um He's, you know, he he'd said that he he has always had that good natural fitness, hard runner, 
But the others, yeah, yeah it was a bit of a surprise. And, that, and that's the sort of thing that's quite cool about that because you don't really know those things. I mean, I remember always being told that Deli Alley was like top of the running charts. Um, Skippy's another one who's a really good runner. He was a strong 1500 meter runner in his youth. Uh, he's always been high up there. I think Sessignon as well, generally. So it was interesting seeing um, seeing some of those players who who you, who I didn't think necessarily would be right at the top. And Sanchez was one of them. But uh, yeah, he was impressive, putting a good good old shift. Charlie, let's talk about the transfer window so far because uh, you know there's there's a fair few weeks left of it, but we've got six signings over the line: uh, Forster, Basuma, Perisic, Spence, Richarlison, and Lingley. What have you made of Tottenham's business so far? You have you been impressed? Yeah, I have. Um, I think it's a really interesting window for them so far. I mean, Basuma as a player, I think, is fantastic, and I've all he's one of those guys. Whenever I see him, I I just think, with all due respect to Brighton, how has he not been poached by now by a bigger club? Yeah. And sure enough, that happened. I mean, you know, that game in April when Brighton beat Spurs 1-0 and he was just amazing, you know, ran the game. And I said to my Brighton, that my colleague who covers Brighton, I was like, you know, whenever I see him, he's amazing. Is he always this good? And And Andy Naylor said... You know, he did used to have issues with his consistency, but actually he's improved that massively. And what you're seeing today is not that unusual. So with that in mind, I, I was like, you know, this would be such a good signing for Spurs. I kind of think anyone, you know, anyone in that top four. Um, and then, you know, you look at Richarlison, I think is a very significant signing in the sense that it's Spurs strengthening a position of strength, which is something they haven't done very often in the past. You know, typically their big signings have been to fill a hole or to go in as an automatic starter. I, I really like what that says about Conte and Spurs of saying, you know, like Chelsea or like City or like Liverpool, we're not just going to be content with a really good starting eleven. We want to have a big, big squad. And I love the fact that, you know, Kane, Son and Kulusevsky finished the season the three most informed attackers, you know, for goals and assists, all three of them. So what do you do? You bring in another, you know, because Richard, Richarlison was also one of the most informed strikers by the end of it. I think that sends out a really powerful message that, you know, they want to, they're not just happy with scrapping for top four again. They want to be right up there. And if you want to be right up there, like Liverpool, like City, you need that big squad. You know, look at Liverpool bringing Luis Diaz in January on top of an already pretty fearsome front line. So they're they're probably the standouts for me. Then I think Jed Spence is a really interesting one. Um, I think as a player, he's really, really exciting and should fit exactly what what Conte wants and needs Perisic um, feels like a very smart buy someone that Conte knows uh, really well and then you know I'd say um, Forster is kind of is good solid I you know I don't think this your second choice keeper is ever going to be a signing that massively sets the pulses racing but you know he he makes sense he's homegrown Um, and then Longley I mean that's probably the one that you know some fans who were and are probably still holding out hope of Bastoni or someone of that sort of level. I think Longley is more stopgap, can do a job for a year. That also speaks to the quality of Ben Davis, who, you know, I think he's allowed Spurs to buy their time with that left-sided centre-back because he was so good for for Spurs last year under Conte and played basically every game. Um so I like the signings. I know some fans uh, feel that it's more sort of strengthening of a squad than the team necessarily. But I think when you're making signings that, you know, Basuma is going to come in and be 
more or less an automatic starter and he'll elevate things a lot. I think Perisic will more or less share the minutes with Sessegnon and I think that that could work really nicely. And I think Richarlison will play a lot. You know, Spurs, five subs this season, they're in the Champions League, there's the World Cup. They're going to be rotating. They have to be rotating. And to be able to rotate and you'll bring on Richarlison or you'll bring on Kulisevsky, you know, in the 60th minute, that's going to overwhelm a lot of teams. And there are going to be a lot of teams who, you know, especially for Spurs, we've seen it before with, with, with any team. You know, you come off the back of, let's say they played a big Champions League game on the Wednesday at Real Madrid. And then on the Saturday, you know, you've got, some, I was going to use Burnley at home. They're always the example, aren't they? That they've been relegated. But, you know, that sort of team, Palace at home, difficult game. And they're holding firm. To then be able to bring on Richarlison or bring on Basuma if you're resting him or bring on Bentoncourt, um, I just think you're going to need that this season. And um, that's why I think the window, making that squad so much stronger. And, you know, last season, Conte talked often about the fact that he didn't really have options off the bench. And you saw that because yeah. he just named, named the same team every week. So he clearly didn't really have a lot of belief in this squad. Well, now he does and he should. Um, and I think that's going to be really key. Charlie, what do you make of Antonio Conte's comments about Jed Spence coming in, saying it was a club signing and not his? Yeah, it was an interesting one. That that was we we got a little huddle um, after or before his press conference actually in Korea after the um, severe match, and it was one of those moments. There are only a few of us where he said it, and our you know your ears kind of prick up, and you think, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I wrote about this when they signed him. I think we need to accept that there are going to be signings inevitably when you've got, you know, you've got a managing director of football in Fabio Paratici, you've got a head coach by name in Antonio Conte, but, you know, he's going to sign off these deals and he's pretty influential and he is going to say in no uncertain terms to Fabio if he likes a player or if he doesn't. I mean, I think in an ideal world for Conte, given Conte has made no secret of the fact that what he's interested in really is the short term. You know, he's he's a short-term manager. We know he likes to only stick around at places a couple of years. So for him, I don't think he'd mind massively if all the signings were kind of Perisic sort of profile or or maybe more like Basuma, who's a lit who's a bit older than Spence. Uh players who can just hit the ground running straight away. There's no real acclimatization. Whereas Spence I was thinking about this. Of the eight signings Spurs have made under Conte, he's by far the least experienced uh, in mm. top flight terms. You know, you think of even um, Kulisevsky, who's close to Spence in age, but he was coming, you know, he was signed from Juve, where he played a lot of games. And Bentoncourt yep. is young-ish, but same thing. He played tons of games for Juve, won loads of trophies. Um, so Spence is by far the least experienced. And the one where Conte might think, Yes, he could be a good player, but how long is it going to take for him to be a good player? I need players to be amazing straight away. So um, I think that's probably where those comments were coming from. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he does with Spence. I mean, I, I personally think he will get a lot out of him. Um, it just might take a few weeks, maybe months, which Conte being Conte, he's impatient. He'd rather just have someone who can plug in and play and go for, go from the opening day. Um, I mean, that right, that right wing back situation is really interesting because you've got Spence coming in, who you think will eventually be the first choice, although we shouldn't, I mean, I think Conte will say this a lot, we shouldn't necessarily be thinking in first and second choice terms because 
squad game, lots of lots of matches, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, for fans, we like to kind of have that delineation. Um, so he'll probably be that guy. But then, who of Doherty and Royale stays? Because I don't think it's really sustainable to have three right wing backs, and then you've got Lucas Mora, who he played yeah. there in in those two games in Korea. And spoke about after saying he'd done a good job. So they've kind of they've got a lot of good options there, without at the moment having a really great one. You know, you've got Spence, who's got all the potential and all the the raw materials there to become a great one, but he's not quite there yet. Then you've got Doherty, who has some real talents, but he's got some drawbacks as a wing back as well. Ditto Emerson Royale, and obviously Moore is just learning the position now. So. Um, yeah, it remains to me that remains an interesting position to keep an eye on for Spurs. Charlie, what have you made of uh, Tottenham's pre-season so far, and what do you think Antonio Conte has learned about this squad during pre-season? Yeah, it's hard to know, really, isn't it? I mean, especially I mean that first game in Korea, the one against Team K League, was sort of so chaotic. Mad. Yeah, I mean, it was it what mad's the word? I mean, it was six three in the end, wasn't it? I sort of lost track of the yeah. score, but. Um, yeah. You know, so I think in a game like that, you just have to think about it. It's minutes in the legs and you move on. Sevilla um, was was a more of a test, I suppose, um, and, a, and a more sort of realistic game. Uh, and then yeah. Rangers was good. Rangers was perfect because, you know, Rangers are a week ahead of Spurs. What with their season starting this week? And, and the, you know, they look pretty sharp. Um, good atmosphere as well. I mean, the players have stood out. I mean, Kane obviously has been has looked incredibly sharp. I thought I thought it was interesting that he went from being sick on the side of the pitch on the Monday to yep. playing incredibly well and looking very very good in the half he played against Team Kelly a couple of days later, and then again against Sevilla. And obviously on the weekend, he scored those two goals, uh, played some of those really really nice passes. Um, I mean, the more, more has been an interesting development. You know, him actually getting some minutes at right wing back, which is something that I think a lot of fans last season felt either him or Bergvine, you know, yeah. one of them, one of them should be given a chance there. Um, I, I, what's, what stood out for me in that um, uh, severe game was how good Kulisevsky was when he came on and just, you know, offered a real reminder of why that sort of duet has become a trio. Uh, you know, because the whole thing just looked so much more coherent with him on. And um, it's interesting because Richarlison, I think, will be a great option, but he's a lot more sort of up and at him, um, a bit less refined in what he does. And I think it will take time for Kane and Son to get used to his movements and and just the slightly unpredictable way that he plays. Whereas you could see with Kulusevsky, those three are so in sync. And, you know, they've been working under Conte and we know about his attacking patterns and I just thought that was a bit, but that's what's great because it felt a little bit like Kudasevsky was saying to Richarlison, I'm not, I'm not giving up my spot just yet. You know, this yep. is my spot. You've got to take it from me. And if I keep playing well, I'm going to be playing. Um, and that's what's the great thing about competition. You know, it breed, it should breed those kind of um, performances. And then you hope, well, Richarlison knows he needs to be at the level that Kudasevsky's at. And at the moment, and the way Kudasevsky finished the season, um, I think he's a player. I mean, I'd be interested. I've said this previously. I, I wonder if he has a bit of a second season syndrome, if defenders work him out a little bit. Um, but at the moment, he, uh, I think he's just so key to the way Spurs attack. Charlie, what else is on Antonio Conte's shopping list 
Well, the main thing, um, the main thing is uh, adding an attacking midfielder. Um, you know, that, can, that, that's... Can, I, can I just stop you there? Because so many fans are saying about an attacking midfielder. Tell me, if an attacking midfielder came in today, where does he fit in? And what formation does Antonio Conte play? Because I, I'm really failing to understand this one. Yeah, well, I think what it speaks to is what I was talking about earlier, which is, you know, the, the biggest teams, the best teams have numerous ways of playing, both personnel-wise and system-wise. And something that I think Conte would love for Spurs to move past and something that Mourinho spoke about as well is this idea that it's a problem to have um, really, really good players on the bench or to have too many options. You know, I think Conte and Mourinho before him would say, well, look at Man City, you know, that look, look how many players they've got. That's not an issue for them. That's just what you need. Likewise, Liverpool um, and Chelsea, have, you know, Chelsea have gone into seasons with, an absurd number of attacking players and they haven't always made it work. But, you know, I think for Conte, it's, I want to have tons of ways of playing. I want to be able to, especially with five subs, you know, I do think there's going to be this situation where, like I said, teams come and, and you, you hold out for 60 minutes. Okay. Well then we put on one, another, we put on a great player on the 60 and then another on 70 and another on 80 and you're just overwhelming these teams. And so yeah. if say, you know, that three, four, three isn't working, then you bring on, I'm not saying it's going to be him or James Madison or whoever. Um, and he comes on to unlock the defense um, or that guy starts and then you switch things up and you chuck on Richarlison and Kulisevsky. You want to ask about James Madison? <laughs> I was going to come on to that. You, you mentioned him first, not me. <laughs> um, what yeah. I'm going to ask Charlie is, is what, how many players away do you think Tottenham realistically? Um, because there are a lot of fans getting carried away. We're all very excited about the new season, which of course is 10 days away, our first Premier League game against Southampton. But what does Spurs need, in your opinion, to really push Liverpool and Manchester City for the Premier League? Yeah, it's a really hard one. I mean, I would say, first of all, they have the manager to do it. And that's such a massive part of all this. Um, I should say as well that the, the feeling around the club is is not a million miles away from the way you're describing that fans are feeling. You know, there is a real sense of positivity, yeah. um, such a belief in Conte and what he's doing and the way he improves players. I think that, that you know players have just seen how much they've improved. And once you get that, you buy in. So you, you buy in massively because you're like, I trust this guy. You know, he's making me play so well. Um, I really believe in him. So there's that. And then, I mean, they've, they've got a front three and then plus Richarlison. I think that's good enough. Um, I think Basuma and Benton Core plus Skip and Hoybier is very good. The wingbacks, maybe they're not quite there. I don't know. You know, we'll have to see, especially because you're talking about potential to some degree with, um, uh, with, with Jed Spence. And then the back three, I mean, I think Romero, if you added in another Romero-level defender, I don't think that defence is conceding many goals at all. Bear in mind they barely conceded any anyway. You know, in the last 10 or so games, they just weren't conceding goals. And if you don't concede goals, clearly, you know, that's a very, very good um, basis to win a title. So I think, you know, I think if they signed another couple of players of that level, that sort of Romero level, 
one maybe to slot in as a defender, maybe in, in a back three, maybe one to play as a wing back or as a central midfielder. Then I think they'd be in the conversation. But that, you know, bear in mind we're talking about two. That would be two elite, elite players, and that's going to cost you certainly north of 100 million total. Um, but I think if they did that, they um, they wouldn't be too far away. Because I, I do wonder as well, Liverpool without Mane, I just wonder how much that's going to affect them. The, the the issue is, and I've said this to a few people, is you know it would be one. I think it's perfectly feasible that one of Liverpool or City could have an off season. The problem yeah. is that you've got two of those teams, and they yeah. are two of like they're two generational teams. They're two of the best teams that have ever played in the Premier League, and they happen to both be playing at the same time. That is an issue because I think for them both to be off it um, is a big ask, and and they've got to be really you know they've got to drop quite a lot of points. They've been such regular ninety plus points. They both have to drop quite a lot for um, for Spurs to be able to bridge that gap. It's possible, you know, we saw that happen in that Leicester season. And obviously Spurs are on a completely different level to where Leicester were. And Leicester won the league with 80 points that season. Spurs got 86 the year after. And I think Spurs, could they get to about 86 points this season? Yeah, I think they could. But even if they got there, the way the Premier League's been over the last sort of five to 10 years, that point sadly doesn't necessarily win you the league. And that's the challenge. You need to be so good. You need to be so consistent. You just can't... Re- you, you're afforded so few off days. Um, and, you know, and that means off the back of a Champions, a big Champions League night, you play Wednesday night and then you might get a 12.30 that you really don't want on a Saturday. Can you lift yourself again? Do you have a big enough squad? Um, it's a big ask. But I do think a cut. You know, I, I don't think it's far. I, I think a couple of more of those level players and and I suppose could do it. Charlie, there's lots of rumours going around at the moment that Harry Kane might sign a new contract at Tottenham. Uh, do you have any latest information on this one? No, I mean that's not um, that's not imminent, as I understand, and and an offer hasn't been made to him. Um, but certainly, the mood music is a lot more positive than it was. This time a year ago, you know, we were all talking about what it was like in January. Cast our minds back six yeah. months before that, and it was it was really bleak. Um, but you know, what I do know about Kane is that he loves working with Conte. He believes that he's fifth than he's ever been. Um, he his position, um, and some people may disagree with this or may have issues because of what happened last summer. But his position in his mind has always been pretty clear. He wants to win trophies. He wants to be playing in the Champions League. And ideally, that would happen at Spurs. The reason he pushed for a move away last summer was because he didn't believe that could happen at Spurs. And to be fair to him, Spurs were in the Conference League. They just appointed Nuno as a manager. I don't think many people could disagree with him in saying that I want to win trophies. I want to play in the Champions League. That's not happening here. And that's probably not going to happen for sometime soon if we continue on this trajectory. So that was where he was at. Obviously, now he's with an elite manager. He's back in the Champions League and I think there's a genuine chance of trophies. So those conditions that he wanted and wants are being met. If they continue to be met and, you know, Spurs go up and up and up even and and really are pushing for trophies, even winning trophies, then I don't see any reason why um, he won't sign another contract. Talking of contracts, are you hearing anything at the moment about Antonio Conte signing a new contract at Spurs before the season starts, no? No. I mean, Conte's in a very strong position, so he doesn't need to 
kind of rush into anything. Um, and he, I think he quite likes having that flexibility. Um, so we'll see. It's one to keep an eye on. But, you know, I mean, I know everyone would love it if he if he did. I think people want people just want Conte to uh, to be tied down. But, you know, we asked him about that in in Korea and he was still kind of batting that away. Um, I think he liked having that leverage, that sense that he could go at any moment. <laughs> um, you know, we saw he's, that. He's being backed, though, Charlie, isn't he? It's very fair to say he is being backed. This could, this could probably go down as one of Tottenham's best transfer windows ever. Yeah, no, he has been. But I think he would say he's been back partly because he's been so cutthroat um, and given so little away. You know, this is a guy who, you know, after the euphoria of Norwich, they just got top four, this absolute hearty yeah. day. And, you know, we tried to catch him. We tried to sort of latch onto that mood a bit and be like, you know, it's all going so brilliantly, Antonio, isn't it? You know, you must be staying now. And he still wouldn't say it then. He still didn't want to, you know, play his hand or weaken his hand. It was very much like, no, we'll see. You know, nothing's agreed. So I don't know. I think I think um, part of the deal with Antonio Conte is that there is uncertainty. You know, this is a guy who walked out and Inter after winning the league. He He makes good on his threats and he will feel, yeah, I've been back this window, but then he'll want to be back in January again. Um, you know, it won't be like, a, oh no, okay, well, thanks, you backed me in the summer. I'm, I, I, I just need to crack on. You know, he's demanding. He expects everyone to sort of match the standards he sets. Um, so we'll see. We'll see on that one. Charlie, for you as a journalist covering Tottenham week in, week out, are you busier when Tottenham are doing well, or busier when we're not doing so well? <laughs> The busyness um, is depend. It depends how badly or how well. So you know, if, if it's like, say again, Nuno, Nuno, yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> if if it's so bad that the manager is on the verge of being sacked, for instance, then that's going to be a really busy time because you're constantly looking over your shoulder and thinking, is he about to get sacked? Because that's a massive story, and you need to be chasing that. And you need to be explaining why things are going so badly. You need to be getting a sense of how the dressing room feels. Um, so that, and you know, whenever fan interest is at its highest, is pro- is probably in the extreme. So you know, yeah. when Spurs are on a great run and getting top four, that's a great time for us because there's so much interest in that. People want to read. Well, how do they get top four? You know, tell us, tell us the inside story on that. Likewise, on the other extreme, Mourinho gets sacked. What the hell happened there? How did it come to this? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, the worst, the worst is the kind of apathy, which happened a bit with Nuno, where people just stop caring. And it doesn't mean we're less busy, I suppose, but it just means there's less interest and there's less engagement. And that's, I think that's the hardest. You know, we, we want to be busy. We want to have um, lots going on. Within reason, there are times when it's, you know, (laughs) not that it ever happens with Spurs, but you might want like a quiet-ish week and then something mad will happen. Um, But I think that for a journalist is is the hardest time. And that's reflected, you know, if I look back at the numbers and whatever from that sort of October period last year when Spurs were just sort of drifting along under Nuno, no one thought it was going anywhere. Um, Yeah, that's, that's when it's tricky. Yeah, yeah, bad times. Well, hopefully you won't be reporting on 
any bad times, uh, certainly not next season. Um, you mentioned him earlier, James Madison. Is there any uh, official interest from Spurs in James Madison? No, I mean, they've, they've very much talked that down. Um, the sense is from them is that, no, not, not someone they're looking at. I mean, I, um, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't rule it totally out just because they've looked at him before. He's a player they like. He's only got two years left on his contract. Um, so, you know, we saw the sumer. obviously he only had one year left on his contract, but there does come a point at which clubs of that standing have to be realistic and say, we, this is the, this is our last chance really to get a big, big fee for this player. And, you know, they might, they might look at Basuma as an example of someone who Spurs got for around 25, 30 million this summer. You yeah. could double that and more if it had been last summer. Um, so, you know, they might, you know, based on that, might Leicester say, well, you know, we're, we're going to massively, his value is going to massively diminish by this time last year. So th- there's nothing to say it's going to happen. I just wonder if, you know, with a month, that's the thing, there's so much, there's so much left of this transfer window. It feels like mm. because Spurs have done so much business that it's basically yeah. done. But, you know, we've got a month or so left. And I think there might be a signing or two that Spurs make that are a little more, they can afford to leave a bit later and sort of call someone like Leicester's bluff. So we'll see on that one. I mean, nothing, nothing to suggest it's, it's going to happen just yet, but, you know, these things can change, um, especially with as much of a, as a month left to go. Well, this last week, Charlie, has been a quiet week for us Spurs fans in the transfer market. So we, we want another one. Do you, <laughs> yeah. how, how many more signings do you actually expect Spurs to bring through the door before the window closes? Uh, certainly one and then possibly two, um, would be my what expectations. Positions? Well, I think there'll be, it'll be that attacking midfielder. Um, and then I think what the long lay signing, what it's done is it's meant Spurs aren't going to be bent over a barrel. They don't have to sign another defender, but I just wonder if someone became available, whether yeah. they would, uh, whether they would pounce, um, that, that would be my expectation. Is there any truth that Spurs are interested in Roma winger Nicolo Zaniolo? Yeah, he, he is someone Spurs like. Um, he's he's on their list, as it were. Um, but Roma want a lot of money for him. So, it's again, it's not an easy deal to get done. Um, that said, you know... Premier League clubs are in a strong position as a buyer because they can, they, they can afford to offer wages that a lot of clubs in other leagues can't. The flip side of that is as a seller, it can be very difficult to offload players and we might get onto that. Um, but no, he is, he is someone Spurs like. Um, so again, it depends how much, you know, how much you push for that given, as you say, it's not theoretically anyway a position that they desperately, desperately need. Um, and so they might think let's wait, see where we are in January, see where we are next summer. Um, but no, they do like him. Charlie, do you have any names that Spurs are looking at at the moment in terms of creative midfielders? No, not really. I mean, those are that Zaniolo is, is the one where they're probably furthest along with, and even that's not especially far. Madison, as I say, I, th- I think he is someone that they like, even if they're saying, no, no, nothing's going to happen. Um, trying to think if there's anyone else but I don't think so um 
at the moment. Pe I mean, there will be. There, I was going to say, people are going to probably shout, shout at me here. Um, but I'm going to say Christian Eriksen. Um, I know, of course, he's signed for Manchester United. But were you surprised? And do you know the actual reason why Spurs didn't pursue Christian Eriksen? Uh, because they had talks with him. Why, why, why didn't that deal get over the line? I think it was... Um... Yeah, they did. I mean, they, they were interested in Christian Eriksen and, and Antonio Conte spoke about that. I think it was just about the, the players' uh, demands slightly exceeding what Spurs thought uh, they were willing to go to. Um, I think, you know, had they been able to kind of see eye to eye exactly on those things, I don't think there would have been an issue. But it's difficult because Eriksen, obviously, as a free agent, was in a very strong position. Um, Spurs, you know, they've got to think about a player and his age profile. He's 30. Um, so, you know, the, the extent to which they want to offer a long contract and that sort of thing. So I think it was it was those sorts of things. They just couldn't quite find enough common ground um, to, to, to come to an agreement. And I think that obviously that will frustrate some Spurs fans who will think that they should have moved heaven and earth to get him. But the problem is once you start doing that, it does then set a precedent um, for other players. You know, other players can look at, you know, 30 plus players can look at the length of contract or whatever, or the amount that Spurs pay for, for players of that age. And then they start to demand it. So you do have to be careful with that. Um, and I think in the end, they just thought it wasn't, um, it wasn't quite right to do, which is a shame because I think it would have been so, so cool to see him back at Spurs. Yeah. And I think like for me personally, seeing him in that Brentford game up close was just to, at the Brentford Spurs one in April was just a reminder of how amazing he is yeah. as a player and how interesting he is as a player to watch, how two-footed he is, his imagination, kind of angles that he comes up with. Um, yeah, but, and, you know, the fact he's gone to United, I think will upset a few people it looks weird doesn't it like him and the kit and it just i don't know it doesn't doesn't quite quite feel right but you know obviously his prerogative i think i think most spurs fans would have loved him to stay at brentford if he was gonna if he wasn't gonna join spurs there would have been something yeah. quite, at least quite romantic about that but yeah we'll see you're, you're right charlie it doesn't feel right it doesn't look right him in that manchester united shirt just don't like it whatsoever um <laughs> let's, let's talk about departures um now of course uh, before we went to South Korea, um, the squad was announced. Harry Winks, Sergio Reguilon, Lo Celso and Ondombele weren't part of that squad. Um, what is happening with these four players at the moment? Are they actually training uh, together with the first team at the moment? Are they training alone? Um, and what do you think is going to happen with these four? Is there any chance that Antonio Conte could integrate any one of those back into the squad uh, for the start of the season? No, I don't think so. I'd be very, very surprised. Like, he's been very clear. Because we should say as well, you know, that there's, with, with the departures, there are those four who are very much in the bracket of content Spurs want to move them on. Then there are players who we'll get on to who are in the bracket of Conte likes them, he admires their attitude and their application, but Spurs need to thin the squad, and so they'd sort of accept them, them going. But with that four, they're all... So they've all got some in they've all got some degree of interest. Um, you know, Lo Celso, Villarreal, Fiorentina uh would like to take him. Um, but you know, Spurs want about around twenty million euros. And you know, for for these clubs, you know, a lot of them are looking for loans 
uh, let alone even before you get onto the matter of a fee. They don't even want to pay any sort of fee. They want a loan at this point. So that's going to take some negotiation. And Dombele, Marseille um, have an interest. And then some other clubs have looked at it, but just on the wages he's on, it's, it's just a very difficult one for them to justify. Um, Winks, Everton doesn't like that's going to happen. Um, and so that's sort of dragging a bit. I'll be interested to see uh, where that goes. Then Regulon, Sevilla are interested in him. Obviously, he had a very successful time there. Um, and that could be a loan with an obligation. Uh, and then you move on to the players like Tanganga and Rodon. Um, Tanganga and Milan are interested. Bournemouth are interested. Um, Milan, you know, loan with an option. And then Joe Roden, Fulham hold an interest. I mean, Fulham desperately need centre-backs. But these these ones take time. And I think what's, what's interesting is that Spurs have very much gone for a um, buy first, sell later policy which makes which makes some sense because you don't want to be you don't want clubs knowing how much money you have you don't want clubs knowing how desperate you are to sign their players obviously the flip side is clubs know that you really want to sell these players so they can slightly it slightly gives the upper hand to the buying club because they're a bit like well you know also you've you've made it abundantly clear that you don't want these guys you haven't even taken them on your summer tour um so it's difficult for you, for them to then turn around and be like, we're going to hold out for X amount of money. So I think a lot of clubs will test that. I mean, what some clubs have done by way of contrast, and there's not a right or a wrong way necessarily, is taking players who you look at and you're like, but surely they've got no future at the club. Why are they going on the summer tour? But I think part of it is almost a bluff to say to, say to potential buyers, no, no, look, this guy's uh, potentially part of our plans, uh, even though you sort of know full well that they're not. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that changes. I think as well, because there are far, I think it's five Premier League games um, in August, so, more, you know, often there's only three. I think a lot of players, and not just at Spurs, but more generally, are thinking, I might just sit tight because there's there's more scope than usual for me to sort of force my way into a manager's plans. There might be a few more injuries, that sort of thing. So um, it's slow. You know, a lot of people I'm talking to at the moment are saying it's a slow market. Trying to move players on is not easy. And a lot of clubs are in a position, like Sevilla, say, with, with Regulon. Now they've, they've sold Koundé, maybe they can press on. But they couldn't. They didn't. They couldn't really do anything until they'd they'd reached that point. And there are other clubs in that position as well. They need to sell before they can buy. I think as well, people underestimate just how much the finances have been hit of clubs outside the Premier League. It's happened in the Premier League, yes, but they're they're insulated to a degree by that mega TV deal, which has made there's such a disconnect, especially players who are on pre-COVID wages, trying to then sell them to clubs yeah. in Spain or in France is extremely difficult. Um, and that's sort of where we're at with a lot of those players. But they do need to, you know, their squad is, is bloated, it's way too big. Um, but I wonder if it'll be a little bit like in January when Delhi, Hill, and Dombele and Celso all, all went out basically on the last day. I mean, Hill's another one who, you know, he, he could go back to Valencia for another loan. Um, so that's going to be, that, that's now we're sort of entering into that phase of things, which is a lot less sexy and enjoyable for fans because, you know, signing players is great rather than hearing about players like inching out of the club, inching their way out of the club. Um, but I think that is, that has to be the focus for the next month more or less. 
Were you surprised that those four didn't go on the tour, though, Charlie? Because I remember seeing a lot of comments and a lot of people that I've spoke to, they've, they've, they've asked the question, well, what has Sergio Reglon done wrong? What went wrong for him? Reglon was definitely the one that raised the most eyebrows. You know, I think um, Winks, we knew, um, was likely to move this summer. And then Lacelso and Dombele, Conte's made very clear how he feels about them by loaning them out. Yeah, Reglon... I mean, I um, I don't know how you felt, but when they signed him and he made his debut against Chelsea, I was really excited. I thought he was going to so, be great. Yeah. He, he looked such a all-action sort of up and down the flank sort of fullback. He seemed to have a bit of aggression about him. He was flying into tackles. I just thought this is a guy the fans are going to love and could be really well suited to the Premier League. Um, I think his issue, and I've spoken to a few people about this, is that he does everything at a million miles an hour. Um, and... You know, sometimes he just needs to stop and kind of take a breath and see what's going on a little bit. He he can be a little bit too frenetic. And it just seemed like over the, the back end of last season, Conte sort of seemed to trust him a bit less. And I don't know if that's partly a positional thing as well, or, you know, Conte likes to play quite regimented patterns of play. It looks brilliant, but it is quite regimented. And I just wonder if, Regulon was a bit more free-spirited and that just just wound Conte up a little bit more, whereas someone like Sessegnon is far better at conforming to those patterns. Um, and that's sort of why he gradually moved him down. And then I suppose once Perisic became available, Conte thought that was one that was just, you know, made so much sense. And then so he liked Sessegnon. Sessegnon has worked extremely hard over the summer to get himself in really good shape. And so I think he just felt, you know, he's got no, got no need for, for Regulon. But I am surprised in a way, not so much when put like that, you can see the logic of it. But I am surprised that two years on from that really exciting mm. debut, um, that it hasn't quite worked out for him. And I think that is a little bit of a shame. So, Charlie, do you, do you know whether they're actually training with the first team or not at the moment? That's a good question. I think they are. I think they are training with the first team. Um, I don't think they've been like sent into exile. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, I don't think they're sort of viewed as damaging or anything like that to the club. But that, but that's a good question. I don't actually know for sure. That's that's uh, my hunch. And I know they were training. They were at Hotspur away when the team were uh, yeah. in Korea. Um, but it is an interesting one. I mean. <laughs> Obviously, if they're not, then you really don't think there's any way back. But to be honest, either way, I don't think there's any way back for any of them. When I asked you the question earlier about whether we could compete with the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, you spoke so confidently about every area of the pitch apart from wing-backs. In your opinion, who are the best wing-backs at Tottenham? That's a really difficult one. Um, and without because who, who, who will Antonio Conte trust the most on the right side? Because I've got to admit, like like you said, you know, I like Jed Spence. I think he's a great player for the future, but he's he's about experience. And I I felt that this window under Conte would all be about experience. Certainly with the wing backs, Perisic, fantastic. But on the right hand side, I know obviously he's now trying to um, put Lucas Moura in there. I'm very surprised that we haven't signed an experienced right wing back. Are you? Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what I was saying earlier, that I think, you know, all of those options are good in some ways, but there are quite obvious imperfections. Um, and it does seem strange that for, for a position that is so fundamental to the way Conte plays, yeah. 
that there are that there isn't kind of one outstanding candidate. I mean, on the left, I would say it's a bit horses for courses. I think Sessegnon and Perisic will more or less share the minutes. Um, I think they they'll be used in different games. I do really like Perisic. I think he's mm. uh, a really good player. I love how two footed he is. I always love two footed players. He's 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 got that. On the right, who who would I personally start? I mean, like I said, I think Spence will, as the season goes on, become the first choice. I'd probably go Doherty over Royale. I think Royale is a good defender, but he's a solid fullback. He's not an attacking wingback. Doherty put in some great performances um, before he got that injury. So I'd probably go him, but I can see why that's not viewed as a sort of perfect solution, especially as this is a guy who, Matt Doherty, who you know we thought was going to leave in January. And, and who had played so little um, of the season up until that point. Would you be surprised if all of those right wing-backs are still at Spurs come the 1st of September? Are you expecting one of them to be sold? Yeah, yeah, I would be surprised. I, ca- I can't see how that's a tenable situation. I think one of Doherty or Royale has to go. And I think Royale's 23, Doherty's 30. So I think Royale's a much more saleable asset. Um and obviously, he, there, there, there will be interest in Royale from Spain, where he you know, did very well. So I think he's the one I'd expect to go. Also, Doherty can play on the left as well. So kind of adds another option there. Um, that would be my expectation. But again, maybe they'll have to be fluid and say, well, there's interest for Doherty and there isn't for Royale. If that happened, maybe they sell him instead. But I just don't think you'd get much of a fee for Doherty, given his age. Um Whereas I think you could for Royale, or, or at least I can imagine a sort of loan with an option or an obligation or something. But that said, I don't think they'll get the 25-odd million that they paid for him um, whenever it was last summer. Charlie, what do you think uh, Antonio Conte will be satisfied with next season? Um, I think if they are genuinely competitive with City and Liverpool, that's what he wants to be. You know, if if... if well, he would he would probably be, and I asked him this when we had this little huddle. I said, you know, I asked him that question: Can you win the league? And you know, why not? Sort of thing. And he's he's still saying, you know, City and Liverpool have had years together, and et cetera, et cetera, and they're at this level. But I think he he would not have stayed if he didn't believe they could genuinely be competitive with them. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll finish above them, but it means they are in that conversation. They are competing with them. They are not too far off and that they are like they did last season. They're beating them. You know, Spurs had the best record against those two of anyone in the league by distance. They took eight points off them. The closest after that was four. So he knows that on an individual level, he can beat them. He can be their match. He he gets such a buzz from outsmarting other managers, other elite managers like Guardiola and Klopp. He wants to be doing that but he knows that if you do that, but then you're losing at Burnley, you're losing at home to Wolves and Southampton, then it's not pointless, but you know, it's there's a hollowness to that. So I think he wants to be competing with them and, and and winning a trophy, you know, and and Spurs have been close to doing that over the last few years. Last, you know, you look at the League Cup the last two years, they lost to City in the final, then they went out to Chelsea in the semis last year. So I think that that if he's not doing that, if he's not getting close to those two in the league and he's not winning a trophy or at least getting close to that, then I think he'll be, he'll, he'll view that as a disappointing season. If you were to give me a quick yes or no, 
<laughs> do you think Spurs can compete for the Premier League? Yeah. And do you think that the uh, do you think Antonio Conte will deliver a trophy of some kind next season? I mean, that's so hard to say because it, it you know it's always fine margins. But I think yes, definitely. Um, there's no reason why they can't be in a cup final or, or or very close. I mean, you know, the the way these cups work now, for better or worse, I mean, I personally found it a lot more exciting back in the day when you had teams outside the elite who were competing for cups. Nowadays, it tends to be City and Liverpool who monopolise those cups, or at least Liverpool last season, if not always in the years gone by. But, ju- but just to expand on, you know, can Spurs win the league? The reason I say yes is that that doesn't necessarily mean they will, but they, I think they're in a position where if, if City or Liverpool have a bit of a letdown, or both of them do, as as can happen, you know, we think of, we think of teams as invincible often until they're not, and then all you know, Liverpool, um, the season before last, they had a really terrible year, you know, and having just won the league, and I think everyone was thinking, you know, up until Christmas, I remember they beat Palace 6-0, 7-0, something mad at Selhurst Park, and they were top, and everyone was like, give them the title. Sorry, I just went there. Hi, Charlie. Are you Can still you there? Um, yeah, that's fine. Um, what I wanted to talk about, um, a couple of months ago, um, you were very lucky enough, so was I, to play at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Talk to me about your experience. Sorry, one sec. Sorry, that should that should have sorted it. Sorry, the Wi-Fi. Was Hi, Charlie. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about you um, for the last couple of minutes, Charlie. Um, a couple of months ago, both of us got the great opportunity of playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. How was that for you? Mm. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. I'm still thinking about that free kick when you were in goal and I put it just over the bar, which is captured, which you captured, and I am eternally grateful to you for that. But uh, yeah, I've watched that many times and just thought. A little bit lower, a little bit under the bar, and that would have been probably the greatest moment of my life. Um, yeah, no, it was great. That was great fun. It was a great day, and uh, yeah, I was just buzzing for for days after, just just thinking about it. And um, you've you you've just written a book, and it's coming out later this year. Tell us about that. Yes, my first book. It's about football commentary. It sort of celebrates the the genius of uh, football commentators. It, it's kind of a parody or a, a play on poetry books where you sort of have a poem and then uh, the close textual analysis of it on the other side. But in this case, the poems are excerpts of football commentary and it's me sort of talking about it. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. And I, I've always had a bit of a an interest in football commentary. I think what they do is is amazing and yeah so this is my kind of homage to Drury and Tyler and Barry Davis and all all those legends and yeah it's out in September you can pre-order it if you go to my Twitter it's um it's the hyperlink there 
Have you ever tried being a football commentator, or or, or if not, would you like to? I've, I haven't. I did once do a, um, a bit of tennis commentary, um, but I've not done football. And I, I would be curious. It's. I think it would be so, so difficult. Um, but it would be a really good thing to do, I think, just to appreciate how hard it is. Because um, I think it's the sort of thing a lot of people think they'd be able to do. Or certainly we love to, you know, we love to criticise football commentators. But I think what they do is amazing and, and very difficult. But I, w- I would be curious um, to do it at some point. But um, yeah, we'll see. May, may, that, may, that dream may have gone. That, when I was a kid, I remember I really wanted to do it. Um, but yeah, it would be fun. It's funny, a couple of months ago, I had Clive Tilsey on this uh, on this channel and mm. uh, listening to the many stories that he told, absolutely fascinating. And, and he said that he grew up just wanting to be a football commentator. That's what he wanted to do. And he lived his dream. Um, Charlie, yeah. tell everyone where they can uh, where they can find you and and what interesting things you're up to at the moment. Yeah, so the best place uh, is Twitter, probably at CD Eccleshare, because I link to all my stuff there. And if you go to the Athletic, uh, either if you're a subscriber already, you'll find everything. And if you're not, you can sign up and you get access to all of my stuff, all the stuff, all the stuff we do on Spurs with my colleague Jack Pitt Brook as well, and various others, and everything that's on the Athletic. Uh, I co-host the View from the Lane podcast, uh, which comes out twice a week on Spurs. Uh, I do the Football Clichés podcast as well, twice a week, so you can listen to that as well, which is uh, which is good fun. So yeah, loads going on. I mean, I'm working at the moment. Actually, I'm doing a piece on Spurs is friendly in Israel and kind of some of the issues about playing a game there, which is a meaty old piece and is um, taking up a lot of my time. So I'm quite looking forward to finishing that tomorrow. That'll be up on Friday. And then can focus on the actual football again, which will be nice. Um, starting with Saturday's friendly and then, crazy as it is, into the new season. I tell you, Charlie, lastly, that is not going to be any friendly. Jose Mourinho v Antonio <laughs> yeah. Conte. And there's a, trof- there's a trophy at stake. The iTech Cup. Yeah, it should be fun. Wow. Yes. Well, Charlie, thanks so much for joining me this evening. Uh, really appreciated uh, your time and talking to you. It's been fascinating. Uh, thanks so much for everybody um, tuning in, uh, watching and listening. Uh, thanks so much for all of your support. And I will see you on the next one. Until then, come on, you Spurs. Thank you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle 
to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 